0: on Giants, your
1: daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Traina. Happy Friday to you. It is another edition of our Fan Appreciation Friday As I said a few weeks ago, I promised that I would uh, give you guys and gals an opportunity to come on the show. My way of showing my appreciation, because look, I love hearing from you folks, um, whether it's on Twitter Tuesday, whether it's during these fan appreciation days. And, you know, it's just great to connect with everybody, to to hear some of the voices behind the letters and whatnot. And we have another installment of Fan Appreciation Friday. Joining me is Mike Aegis. And he is a, not only is he a long-time listener of the Locked On Giants podcast, but he is also a long-time reader of Inside Football, which is one of the publications I write for. So, Mike, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program.
0: Thanks, Patty. I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's an honor.
1: And, Mike, uh, let's start off by having you tell the, the listener audience a little bit about yourself. What do you do, how you became a Giant fan, and that sort of thing.
0: Sure. Uh, I've been a Giant fan going back to the late 70s. It's kind of a funny story. Uh, When I was growing up, when I was younger, I was a Yankee fan. And Bob Shepard was the PA announcer for the Yankees. And watching the game, I was like seven or eight years old, I recognized the voice at a Giant game. I'm like, that's the same guy from the Yankees. And I decided I became a Giant fan. So that's the reason. It, It has nothing to do with how good or bad they were. It was just because of that connection with the Yankees. And So I go back to when Sims got drafted and watching the Ray Perkins show on Saturday nights and Rob Carpenter and Brad Van Pelt. So I've been through a lot of uh, not the horrible days of the sixties and early seventies, but through lots of ups and downs in the last, you know, 40 years.
1: Let's talk a little bit about, you know, giant fandom. Um, You know, the last, you, you actually let's, let's go back a little bit. You mentioned, you know, uh, the seventies, the eighties—you're familiar with the Parcells years—and what is it about Giants football that makes it just so special and a must-have in your life um, for you and
0: your family? Well, you know, growing up, uh, you know, the Giants kind of represented like what the city was. You know, they were a very blue-collar team that was big on defense. Uh, you know, they weren't the flashiest team in the league, and you know, they—they weren't the Dolphins with Marino throwing for a thousand yards a game. It was. It was gritty defense. It was a gritty quarterback. Uh, Bill Parcells was a no-nonsense guy with, you know, with a little bit of the Jersey accent. Uh, so it was just something that a team that, you know, a fan base can relate to. And then um, I moved down to Florida when I was in high school, and it was just another way to kind of connect with my old hometown of New York. So when they won the uh, the Super Bowl in '91, when they beat uh, Buffalo, it was kind of like. That was the year I really, really connected with the team even more because I'd I'd go to a bar every Sunday in Gainesville, Florida, and watch them, and it really elevated my fandom from there. And ever since, it's just been, you know, you live and die with them. You know, go through you know Super Bowl runs, and you go through, you know, Ray Hanley, you know, and everything in between.
1: Oh, you just conjured up bad memories there with that last (laughs) mention. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So have you ever had an opportunity to go to a Giants postseason game or a Super Bowl or anything like that?
0: Oh, yeah. I've been to the last three Super Bowls. I was the one in Tampa when we got blown out, which is more bad memories. Mm. Uh, And and there's two Patriot ones. Uh, I went to the NFC Championship game. In 2000, when we beat Minnesota, we went out to San Francisco because my wife's a big 49er fan. So uh, I got to own the household and we beat them in overtime in uh, 2011. Um, We usually go on probably two or three road trips a year and have, have had season tickets since the new stadium opened.
1: When you think of Giants football, I mean, there there have been so many legends to wear the uniform. Who are some of the guys that, in your mind, really define Giants football?
0: I've always been a Phil Simms guy. I mean, Simms is the jersey I wear when we play a big division game or we're in the playoffs or the Super Bowl. I mean, Phil Simms to me, again, kind of kind of personified Giant fans. That you know, he came from Morehead State, where most people probably never heard of and probably still don't never heard of a school like that. Um, you know, wasn't wasn't a guy who right away was a star. You know, he was hurt his first couple of years. Well, I remember Scott Bruner, the quarterback and, and guys like that. And it took him a while to kind of, you know, really gain control of the team. And he was a guy when it was always third and 11, he was a guy you can always count on for making the play. I remember the, was it in, in I think it was in 86, Seven, that, that game in Minnesota, where uh, the fourth and 16th play he completed, it was the Super Bowl year. But that's the type of play was just like that personified Phil Sims and kind of personified what the Giants are, where they were going to grind. And, you know, the, even the 90s season when they won the Super Bowl, that was, uh, you know, they were at one point, they were 11-0 or 12-0. But every game was like 15-12 or, you know, 14-10. It's, they just got things done. And that's kind of one of the things you really appreciate about them.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because uh, you mentioned Phil Simms. That's the whole reason why I became a Giant fan. Um, I remember, you know, the fumble. um, When my father came home from that game, he was furious. And then, you know, when the Giants drafted Phil Simms, I became a Giant fan, and funny story the whole reason why I became a Phil Sims fan is because I felt sorry for him because everybody was like, Who the hell is this guy? You know, and they were calling him Prince Valiant, and they were just <laughs> absolutely trashing the pick. And I felt sorry for him. And I said, well, he looks like a kind of a nice guy. Why, do, why, why is everybody on his back? And, you know, then he went through the injury prone. And, and you know, later on in the years, you, you would hear the stories about how when Parcells first got there, there were questions about his toughness. And, you know, talking to some of his teammates, even, you know, they, they weren't sure what to make of him. They, I think it was George Martin told me that they thought that Phil Simms was related to the Mara family uh, because he had the blonde <laughs> hair and the fair looks and their everything like that. But, you know, Phil, like you said, he proved himself over and over and over again. He was a tough SOB and he came out of his shell and you're right. He, he just, you know, I thought at the time he was the greatest quarterback the Giants ever had no disrespect to, you know, the Charlie Connery's or the YA tittles or any of those guys from the past. But, you know, when Phil Simms retired, I always remember telling people, you know, at the time, that hey, you guys are going to miss him because it's going to be a long, long, long time before we see another Phil Sims. And of course, you know, we were we were all blessed with it, Eli Manning years later. But yeah, Phil Sims, you know, the original blue-collar quarterback. And you're right, it just. Personified this whole area, that team, those teams of the 80s, and some classic matchups, especially with the Washington football team. I mean, those were some buttes.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, going from Sims to Eli Manning, that's a long, long stretch of time. And you take it for granted when you have a quarterback like that who, for a decade, you know, is the rock, he's consistent, does everything you can. But when you start going through, you know the Jesse Palmer's and you know quarterbacks that are just you know they shouldn't even be on NFL rosters. You, you forget what you have in a guy like Phil Sims. And, and the other thing I loved about Phil Sims too was he stood up to Parcells. You know okay. Parcells was he was the king and you know rightfully so. But Phil Sims was was a was a guy who would stand up to him if he had to, and that was something that I always respected as well.
1: Yeah, you know, true confession time, um, I'm not a big jersey type of person. I don't usually buy uh, team jerseys. And I can honestly sit here and tell you that Phil Sims's jersey is the only one I bought ever. And I'm talking, you know, in all the years that I followed the team. Now, obviously, once I become a, became a member of the media, you know, you, you don't want to be spending money on jerseys because, you you know, you can't wear them. So... Uh, but yeah, growing up, Phil Simms was was my favorite player, and and he was his was the only pro jersey I actually invested my hard earned allowance on.
0: Sims is my go to when we're in the playoffs or a Super Bowl or playing a division team. You know, I I also have my Ike Hilliard because obviously since I went to Florida, I loved Ike Hilliard in uh, in college, and then the night of the draft and. In, in, uh, in 97, I, I bought the jersey, and I still have it. I wear that for regular, just normal games, the yeah, I eared one. But, uh, yeah, uh, Phil, Phil's a, he's a special guy, and uh, I'm, I'm glad he was a part of the, you know, the formative years of me being a Giant fan.
1: Indeed. You're listening to Locked on Giants with Patricia Train on this Fan Appreciation Friday. My special guest is Michael Agis, and he, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to talk more. Giants football Giants memories right after this bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action football might be over but NBA college basketball and the NHL are in full swing bet online even covers awards TV shows and reality TV real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your sportsbook expert. Hey, Giant fans. This is Patricia Trana, host of the Lock on Giants podcast. If you're looking for a way to keep Giants football in the forefront during this offseason, pick up a copy of my new book, The Big 50 New York Giants The Men and Moments That Made the New York Giants. This 350 plus page book takes a deep dive into the rich history of the Giants franchise, covering every era with stories, photos, and more that take you behind the headlines. The Big 50 New York Giants is available on amazon.com, barnsdnoble.com, triumphbooks.com, and wherever books are sold. Pick up your copy today, and thank you to everyone for your support. Welcome back giant fans to locked on giant segment two. We are doing a fan appreciation Friday. And I just want to take a moment. Those of you who were kind enough to send in applications. If you haven't heard back from me yet, don't worry. I'm working through them all. Um, I'm going to try and get as many of you on as I can. Um, I do have other programming I have to do during the week. So uh, I'm just kind of spacing it out because look, you can never have too much of a, of a good thing. And for me, Getting an opportunity to talk live with some of you has really been a good thing. You know, the Twitter Tuesdays, like I said, which, by the way, we will be doing next Tuesday. And, uh, you know, the throwback th- uh, Thursdays and all the programming we do here. So just be patient if you haven't heard back. doesn't mean that you were disqualified or anything. just means I'm working my way down the list. So anyway today on the Locked On Today podcast, is the relationship broken between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks? Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to talking Giants football now. Um, we talked about the 80s, that Giants team, you know, w- of the 80s was quite quite the group. I mean, they made us proud. Back then. And then, you know, we had a little bit of a stretch where the team, you know, lost this mojo in the 90s. Um, they got back to the to the playoffs in 2000 with Kerry Collins, who was in, in place by then. And then they absolutely got destroyed by the Ravens in the Super Bowl. But when you watched how the Giants transitioned from the 80s to the 90s and then back to that, you know, solid team in the 2000s at the turn of the century there, I mean, what kind of stood stood out to you as far as you know carryover from that eighties team, or maybe you saw a new dimension in that team that that we hadn't seen before
0: I mean to me, the giants have been defined by two things: good coaching and bad coaching over the last thirty years i mean we went from bill Parcells to Ray Hanley to Jim Fossil, who was you know was a, was a decent coach um then you know you you had you had issues in the nineties and then finally we have Tom Coughlin who you know he is you know he saved this franchise I think you know the way he just he was needed at the right time and I think what happened with with Tom Coughlin was that he needed to have his players in to be successful because he's a no nonsense guy and I think he I you know this is an outsider looking in it seemed like that a lot of the, the established veterans weren't buying into him right away. And I think once you had guys like the Strayhans and the Tiki Barbers, finally, either them, the leaders investing or guys that just weren't buying in being released, that changed everything. And, you know, Coughlin, you know, obviously we all know what he did with the two Super Bowls. The team was competitive, but as soon as he left, again, we've had two coaching hires, you know, since then where, you know, we fell off a cliff. You know, roster has a lot to do with it as well, but it starts at the top. It starts with a good GM and it starts with good coaching. And I think this team has had a lot of peaks and valleys with, with, with head coaching and hopefully, you know, with Joe judge, you know, it's still very early, but uh, this seems more promising than, than the last two hires we've had before.
1: Yes, indeed. And, you know, let's, let's go back to Tom Coughlin because I remember when he was first hired uh, at the time, you know, I was, I was then at that point the editor of Inside Football. And I remember getting so many letters from older readers who were just like, Oh my God, what have they done? This is gonna be a disaster. This guy's not gonna work out. He's 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 just, you know, not the right fit. And for a long time there, you know, there were questions about whether Tom Coughlin was the right fit. But you're so right because you know a lot of people made a big stink about his uh, his opening or speech at his introductory press conference the famous one where he said injuries are a cancer and you know we've got to restore pride and oh my gosh she just absolutely laid it out on the line and you just knew right then and there that this guy was that he had a plan and that's just something you know you go back and you look at some of the the coaches recently you know before joe judge they talked a good game, but they lacked that plan. And then, you know, for for Coughlin to get um, the offensive line that he was able to 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 uh, get from Ernie Accorsi, and then Eli Manning coming in, really a pivotal moment at the franchise. And again, that was another. You know, it's funny that was another acquisition. I remember people saying, "Ah, oh, they got the runt of the Manning family." You know, it, just a lot of skeptics and. It, it was touch and go there in the beginning with Coughlin and, and Eli. It took them about three, three and a half years to really turn it around.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of background with both Coughlin and Manning from living in Florida and living in the South for a while. Because uh, I remember when Jacksonville started, and Coughlin was you know, one of the primary architects of that team. And it was he was a no nonsense guy, but he, you're right, and that's something I love about coaches. You know, whether it's him or an Urban Myers, they have a plan. And their plan works, and they execute the plan. And in two years, Jacksonville was in the AFC Championship game. You know, so something was right. And I think if Coughlin was announced to be the head coach in 2021, I don't think it would work anymore. The game is different, society is different. Players have to be coddled now. You know, the the rules have changed, whether on the field or how you prepare. I I don't I don't know if he would translate to today's game, but. In that time, in nineteen, when did he start? Yeah, so two thousand four. I think the timing was right for him, and um, yeah, it, it was a, it was a perfect match because we needed, you know, Jim Fossil. If I remember, was more of like a player's coach. Was it, it was, an, it was a nice guy, uh, but who can get a little testy. But you know, but they needed that change to back to basics, and I was all for it when they hired him because you're right. When he was saying that, you know, injuries are a cancer the team needs to be tougher. It needs to be, they need to play 40 minutes, uh, 60 minutes. And that was something that was lacking for that team. So I, I was really happy. And then Eli, you know, that trade to me, the most important things on a football team are head coach and quarterback. You can always, you can get the rest of the parts that you need, but if you don't have a good head coach and you don't have a, a good quarterback, a, a you know, someone that can lead your team and make the throws and be smart you're never you're never going to be a champion. So I think when you have the opportunity to, if you're really really bad and you get the first pick, or the opportunity presents itself where you can trade up and get that franchise guy, you get him. So again, I was all for that, and I saw him play. Um, I saw him play Florida twice when he was at Old Miss, and I knew he wasn't the run of the te- of the uh, of the family. The, the guy can make all the throws. He, he was smart. He was never rattled. It was just a guy that I knew would be you know a perfect fit, and he can handle New York. Handle the the media, handle all the pressure up here. And he did just that. He did exactly what I hoped he would be for as long as he was here.
1: Yeah, he's something else because, you know, you you look at him, and I remember when he first came in, I thought, oh, you know, he's this all shucks type of Southern kid, you know, kind of goofy and whatnot. And, and, And you just, the more you got to know him, the tougher you realize he was.
0: Yeah, I mean, all you want as a fan is you want to go into every season with the hope. And, you know, the last couple of years, Giant fans haven't had any hope. And I think, you know, back then we had hope. And I think we've turned the corner now that, you know, based on what's happening, how they're progressing with building this roster and how bad the East is, (laughs) I think we actually have hope going into next year at at the very earliest to, you know, try to win a division and get to the playoffs.
1: You're listening to Locked on Giants. It is a Fan Appreciation Friday with Mike ages. And we are going to take our final break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up with some more thoughts about the state of the Giants and just continue our discussion on New York Giants football. Stay with us. With the ever-increasing number of auto makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait for the counterperson to order the parts on a computer, usually choosing the brands that the store happens to prefer. Instead, take your search for your auto parts to rockauto.com. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all your auto parts and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers, They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpeting. Whether it's for your classic or daily drive, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write LOCKED ON in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. rockauto.com Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked on Giant Segment 3. It is a Fan Appreciation Friday with yours truly, Patricia Trainer, and special guest Mike Agis. And betting on the... NFL doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Subscribe to the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. And, oh, they also cover baseball and hockey and and, uh, basketball and all the major sports. So it's not just limited to football. Check them out, folks. I think you'll enjoy that podcast. Let's talk about the Joe Judges, shall we? Uh, The current era. You know, Mm -hmm. after Ben McAdoo flamed out, after, after Pat Shermer proved to be the wrong guy, you know, they go and they bring this guy, Joe Judge, and you know, a guy that not a lot of people really outside of Boston and New England heard about because he was, you know, a special teams coach. And he comes in and he makes this big splash and he has his plan and everything like that. And, you know, be honest with me, did you think the Giants were gonna be able to do what they did as far as the wins and keeping most of their games as close as they did in their first year under the sky?
0: Well, you know, obviously I was more concerned, you know, I'm not even concerned about Joe Judge. I was concerned about COVID because to me, you know, the worst possible combination of events could happen to this team to get ready for this season. You know, we have a quarterback who's starting, you know, is I believe it's his third offensive coordinator, uh, second head coach, no off season to prepare, no off season for the coaching staff to kind of come together uh, you know, a, a coach who'd never been even a, co- a coordinator at, at that level, much less being a head coach. So to me, you know, I expected the absolute worst, and it took a while for this team to start to gel. I mean, the first couple of weeks were, you know, we were one and six, and we looked like a one and sixteen. Uh, but I, I, I saw—you could tell with a coach right away if they're not the right fit, it may take a while to say, this is the right fit, but you know, right away, if he's not the right fit. And I never felt that for a minute with Joe judge, I, uh, you know, his decision-making, you know, in a game, the fact that he felt like he was in control again, we mentioned that before, like with Coughlin, that he seems like he has a plan. He may not have ever executed that plan before at you know the NFL level or even the college level, but he seemed like he had a plan to know what he wanted to do. and. Um, for the most part, you know, from the coaching standpoint, I there really wasn't really much that I can complain about that he specifically did to say, oh, we lost that game because of a Joe Judge decision. Uh You know, whether it's you know, oh, we didn't call a timeout here or something, or personnel decision, like who was on the field. I mean, at the end of the day, you win with personnel more than anything. But I think he, you know, six and ten was a you know that was we we predicted that in the preseason that's what we thought they'd be around you know the the playoff run was fun you know they were battling for a playoff spot but they weren't a playoff team i think we all know that but i think that really that playing those games in november and december i think did a lot to help the culture of this team because now they're learning how to win and you know i always say when teams that lose it's called losers lose and you find ways to lose because you have the wrong culture but going through the exercise of being in a race for the playoffs i think it's really going to help this team in the offseason because you're going to get more buy in for what the coaching staff's trying to do what joe judge is doing what the players on the roster are doing together so i did not go into the season caring about what the record would be i just i was just happy we had football i figured we wouldn't but you know what they did and how they would compete for so long just gives me hope for for next year and beyond
1: so I have to ask you, what are your thoughts about Joe, Judge? I mean, I really like the guy. I like just about everything he's done, and I've agreed with just about everything he's done, including his approach.
0: Yeah, I mean, the two things I've always found for successful coaches is that they have an extreme attention to detail. And they they control the room, and they say what they want to say or don't say what they don't want to say. With the exception of a guy like Belichick, who says absolutely nothing— you know sometimes they say something that gets them a little bit of hot water but that's what they're going to say what they want to say and cuz they are controlling the room and they are they want everything to be in complete control and, and organized and, and and just under control so i i could definitely see that so that kind of gives me hope that uh he's a keeper
1: and he also has a memory like an elephant and i see, i mean that in a good way and I, again to give you another example from that that uh, one-on-one that I had with him back in May, all right? I had it in early May and I asked him a question and he said to me, you know what? I I don't think I can give you a good answer now, but please ask me that question at the end of the year. Just say, hey, Joe, you told me to ask this question. So I said, okay, fine. Don't you think he didn't remember that? He did. Mm -hmm. He remembered that in his, and you could hear it. It's actually in the the final uh, presser that he did at the end of the year, the wrap-up and it's in the transcript and he said patty i know you wanted to ask me this question because i think uh jordan renan had beat me to the punch on it and any and he, and he remembered that i also wanted to ask it so i was like oh my god most coaches you wouldn't <laughs> think would remember stuff like that so just the attention to detail and you know look he w- the jury's still out on him you know is is his program going to be successful but you know after the first year there's a lot to like with him. And I know some people say to me, Oh, will you cool it with this love affair with this guy? I'm sorry. Not since Tom Coughlin have we had a guy who who just seems to have his stuff together, like, like this guy does. And, you know, I I think this team could really, you know, make some noise with this guy as their leader.
0: I I think the giant fan, and this is something we always talk about on our podcast all the time is putting things in perspective is the most important thing. And I think the problem is with this fan base is that we've been down for so long now that they want things to improve and improve yesterday. It's not, I want to see incremental improvement. We should be a playoff team. We should be competing for the Super Bowl, And it's not the way, that's not the way it works in the NFL. You don't overnight all of a sudden wave a magic wand and you are an 11 and five team with, uh, you know, getting a buy in the first round of the playoffs. Um, I think everything the jury's out with with this team. I, I think, you know, Dave Gettleman, the jury's out. I think with the coaching staff, the jury's out. Daniel Jones, the coaches, the, the jury's out. Um, we're not there yet, and it, it takes time to build. I think the, the biggest problem that this team has had, and why we are where we are now, is they didn't commit to fully rebuilding this team until the day they benched Eli for good. I think they, they try to have it both ways. They they knew this team had to be rebuilt, but the siren call of Eli one last time with Eli, it, you know, it happened to two coaches and it happened to two GMs where they thought that they had just a little bit left in the tank that they can make one last push. And until you commit, you know, it, 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 to saying we are just breaking this down and really starting over, it it, it impacts how you draft, it impacts what you do with free agency, it impacts what you're going to do with everything. And I I think we've been bad for a while now, but I really believe that the meter started running on the rebuild when Eli got benched and, and Daniel Jones came in last year. So we're really only not even two years into this. But is really the, the the rebuild of what we need to do. So I, I think we just have to all have patience and just let this play out. And you know, we'll know. You know, there'll be a point where we'll know where this isn't working, and the big changes will have to be made. But for right now, I think we're right on track where we, where we should be.
1: Well said. Absolutely. You know, look, Dave Gettleman admitted that uh, you know he made a mistake in his first year here. And then here's the other thing that I don't think a lot of people take into consideration. Gettleman has always been the GM who tries to accommodate the coaching staff. So I, I always use this as an example because it's really a, the best example out there. Do you honestly think that Dave Gettleman thought that all those Arizona Cardinal players that he signed we're better than anybody else out there. You know, look at look at Antoine Bethea, for example. Do you think Gettleman thought that Bethea was a better player than Trey Boston? I don't. I think that was just Gettleman basically, you know, accommodating the wishes of the coaching staff. You know, a group that said, hey, look, if we're going to win, we need this player, this player, and this player to do it. And as long as those players weren't going to break the bank, Gentleman was going to you know accommodate now did he learn something from that I I I would hope so because at some point you got to say well you know it's great that you want this player from your old team but maybe let's go with this guy because this guy can do XYZ and Whereas you know the guy you're thinking of can only do X and Y, you know, so that was part of the growth process as well. And 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 an early mistake that government made, we can we can admit to that. But I agree with you. I think they do have this on the right track, but I still think there are a few players away, and I think they'll get there eventually. You know, if they play it smart and they don't make uh, rash decisions. Mike, um, before we wrap up, just want to give you an opportunity. You mentioned you had a podcast. Tell everybody where they can find your podcast and where they can find you on social media and anything else you want to tell the listening audience out there.
0: Yeah, uh, me, uh, I am um, on Twitter at The Cranky Fan, myself, and The Football Grump. That's um, at football underscore grump. We have our own podcast called The Just Giants Podcast. You can find it everywhere. SoundCloud, Apple, iTunes, everywhere that you subscribe. Um, We are just two fans who just love to talk about the Giants. We uh, we try to be logical. We try to be level-headed. We try to keep things in perspective, and um, we have a lot of fun doing it. So, you know, we always feel that uh, you know if we making the Giant fan base, making them more educated than every fan base, makes us better fans, and you know this. Podcast, you we know, Pat's Podcast is the gold standard for Giant Podcasts. I've been listening since day one, and uh, she's the best. But, um, you know, if, if you want to give us it for a little different perspective for more of the fan's perspective, you know, check us out at uh, Just Giants Podcast. All
1: right, Giant fans, that'll do it for this edition of Fan Appreciation Friday and for the week here on Locked on Giants Podcast. Be sure to check us out. Next week, we'll have all new podcasts, including Twitter Tuesday, Throwback Thursday, and uh, any news that might be coming down the pipe. We should be hearing something, I would think, in the next several days, so we'll make sure we cover that as well. For Micah and G's, this is Patricia Trainer. Have a great weekend, everybody.